0: Well, Shabbat Shalom. We have a uh, beautiful scripture before us today in Ha'igaret al Haromim, the epistle to the the, uh, Romans, chapter 7. And we have been um, slowly going through the book of Romans over the last few months. And we've really, I think, got a very solid basis for continuing and seeing what Rav Shaul, the Apostle, has to say for us in this book as he writes to this Kehilah in Rome. It's mostly non-Jews in the Keilah, but some Jews have come back into Rome, including Jewish believers in Yeshua, after the Edict of Claudius, we believe in 49, that, that expelled them from that city. And so it's a city that has uh, issues with Jewish people, and there's no exception when it comes to the Kehillah in Rome, that for a while may well have been, not for sure, but may well have been an exclusively Gentile Kehillah, which might have been rather uncommon in those very early days, as believers were spreading the news around the world and beginning almost always everywhere they went in synagogues, not in the Areopagus, as Shaul attempted to do in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. So Rav Shaul is writing a pastoral letter to these Romans and he's talking to them about the basis of their unity in Messiah. He's talking about the wonderful thing that Messiah has done for both Jews and Gentiles, how he has drawn us together, how he has, despite our differences in relationship to the Torah, how he has made us one in Messiah. And in chapter 6, we saw that twice... The Apostle Paul now had come to that point in his teaching where having shown that we are all under sin and how God's grace is there for all of us. He has now twice told the people in Rome, God's grace does not give us a license to sin. It is not our opportunity because we know that we are forgiven to do whatever we want. And so twice, as we mentioned the last time we spoke on this, in uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Shaul says, or in the Greek, which means may it never be. This cannot be. He says in Romans 6 and verse 1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Then in Romans 6 and 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And now we see how artificial the divisions of chapters are in many places. Because we see Rav Shaul continuing the very same thing in chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. And then verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. And we become aware that Rob Shaul actually has a train of thought in the book of Romans as he writes. And as the Spirit guides him, he is he is thinking in a certain direction. And now he is seeking to underscore some things that are certainly not true. It's certainly not true that we can use God's grace as a license to sin so that grace might abound. It's certainly not true that we can sin because we're not under law, but under grace. It's certainly not true that the law is sin, however. And this is where we come to one of the questions that we're going to address this morning is, is the law sin? Is, is the law bad? Is it no good? Now that Messiah has come, is there any use for the Torah? And then, lastly, has what is good become death to me? Certainly not. And so, we are going to begin in the first verses of Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, And we're going to see that Rav Shaul is concluding his argument from the previous chapter, talking about how, as in chapter 6 and verse 22, we have been set free from sin. Rav Shaul's obviously in no denial at all. He knows that we are prone to sin. He knows that even himself, as we see at the end of Romans chapter 7, he himself is prone to sin. He has his issues, and he as as he sometimes does, he shows us his heart. And Rav Shaul is a, a someone who's not afraid to show his heart in many different ways and many times in his epistles. And he too says, "I am a I am a sinner," and. We, we see Rav Sheol dealing with these things and we see that the Torah is not a bad thing. It is certainly not in Romans 7 and verse 13. Romans 7 and verse 1, Do you not know brethren? And brethren, of course, includes both men and women. It's a non-gender specific term, even though The new uh, gender-neutral translations try to get around that. Um, It is, in reality, not gender-specific. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. So she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Messiah, so that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Israel, in a sense, is married to God, not specifically to the Torah. And yet, for Jewish people and for Israel, the Torah is a precious possession. Rav Shaul has already mentioned this earlier on in Romans. What is the benefit of being Jewish? He says, to them was given the Torah. And he's not just talking about the past. But it's an ongoing thing, an ongoing blessing. And even today, the Jewish people, we cherish the Torah. And so in many congregations, and in fact any any synagogue of any size, um, you will have at least one Torah scroll. I remember going, you know, in London in some of the synagogues, and more than in any synagogue here in Vancouver. They would open the ark at the front during the service and you would see a magnificent display of Torah scrolls with beautiful um, silver encasing on some of them and, uh, and clearly a very valuable and beautiful collection. And while those Torah scrolls were handled with the utmost care and reverence, It is not so much the Torah scroll itself that mattered, but it was the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord that is in them. And so when the Torah scroll is brought out, the song is, From Mount Zion comes forth, the word of the Lord. And so it's a precious possession for the Jewish people. These scrolls cost anywhere from a few thousand for one that might just marginally be acceptable for use, a so-called kosher scroll, to $50,000, $100,000 or more because of all the care and the expensive materials that go into their uh, making. Here we have the law. And Rav Shaul is speaking to those who know the law. This is their heritage. This is what they know. And so clearly there are Jews in the congregation in Rome. And he says to them, and really the whole congregation of Rome is party to this, that the law has dominion over a person as long as that person lives. This is something, as long as we live, he's saying, under normal circumstances, the Torah rules while it was still alive, is still alive. And he brings in the picture of marriage. Now, points out, you know, that there is such a thing as divorce. But in reality, what he is speaking about in verse 3 is if a woman were to leave her husband and go to another, and for a Jewish person, he's thinking, okay, leave the Torah and go to something else, that would be adultery. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so she is no adulteress, although she has married another man. Um, you know, there's been much written on on marriage and divorce and its permanence. But it's very interesting that in Jewish writings, there is this same connection between divorce and death that Rav Shaul is making. His point is that divorce and death have the same effect on an unmarried partner. And in biblical times, this was the woman. In fact, in Jewish tradition, we still are wrestling with this issue, um, in Israel particularly, of the giving of a certificate of divorce because there's something fundamentally unequal in the way that happens and, um, and doesn't quite fit with our modern society and values. But nevertheless, divorce and death are equal in that they both, once they have occurred, free the partner to go and remarry. And we know that's the state in in our law. Um, we know that that's the way it works generally in life today. In Jewish writings, they, um, it's been written in the Talmud that as for divorce, it's well since it is written, and and they quote Deuteronomy 24, then he shall write her a bill of divorcement, the get. But whence we do do we know that she is freed by her husband's death? And the rabbis say it's logical. He bound her, and so he frees her. That's the situation of divorce. And so with death, it breaks that bond. Death is compared To divorce. Just as divorce completely frees her, so does death completely free her. Rav Shaul is thinking in very Jewish terms. He knows that death frees us from contractual obligations in terms of marriage. None of us wish that our partners should die. I have to say that. But, um, but, but uh, this is the picture here in Romans chapter 7. It's the picture of someone who, when their partner has died, they are now free. And so Rav Shaul says, Therefore, my brethren, you've become dead to the law through the body of Messiah, so that you may be married to another. Remember in chapter 6, Rav Shaul has said, when we are immersed, we are as if we were buried with Messiah and then we were raised up with him and you. And he's saying, since you identified with Messiah in that, now you realize that your primary identification is with Messiah. He is the one by whom we are delivered. In fact, we were never delivered by the Torah. So we have become dead to the law and now we are joined to Messiah, to him who was raised from the dead so that we should bear fruit to God. We have a a tremendous blessing. We have been freed from this obligation, this life or death, complete obligation to keep to the Torah. And in fact, this obligation speaks to The Romans as well, who are not Jews, because they have looked at the Torah, not necessarily as their own, not necessarily as obligatory to them. But as the apostle has already made very clear, the Torah has revealed the righteousness of God. And they have seen in that Torah the righteousness of God. And it is part of what has drawn them to God as they have been attracted to his righteousness as it is revealed. So even those who are not Jewish realize now that because of Messiah, the Torah does not bind us. The Torah does not have a hold on us in the same way we might have thought. But of course now everyone's asking, um, this kehilah is maybe a bit like a messianic congregation. There are many people in the kehilah who love the Torah. After all, King David didn't just love the Torah in Psalm one nineteen and elsewhere, where he speaks of it because of its rules and obligations. He loved the Torah because it expressed the will and guidance and wisdom of God, and to him it was light. It was life. It was light for his path. And it is the same for us. And so Rav Shaul knows this is the big question. After all, he is a Jew who is himself still keeping Torah. He has not changed his convictions concerning that. He lives as a Jew. And so he has to answer the question, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. And this brings us to the second part of Romans 7, in verses 7 to 12. He shows us that the law is good. And the law is good. There are some things in our life that make us very, very uncomfortable. Um, things that are good can make us very, very uncomfortable. I saw it. Um, a rabbi on YouTube recently, I think it was Abraham Twersky, if I, rec- I didn't check carefully, but it looked like it was him. And he was talking about the oyster. I mean, the, uh, the um, what do you call them? They go, uh, we, we, people throw them in boiling water and eat them, you know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, there you have the lobster. He was talking about it. And, you know, the very interesting thing about lobsters and crabs, not just that they are unkosher and not for Jews to eat, but um, the lobster has a hard shell, and we don't think about it very much. But that shell doesn't grow with the lobster. And yet, especially when you go to the East Coast and off, uh, off into the Atlantic, People get some very big lobsters. And the same, I I knew a, a lobster fisherman from who fished up in Alaska, the same thing. You get these massive lobsters. That shell didn't grow with them. They used to have smaller shells. But those smaller shells became very uncomfortable. And for growth to occur... They had to come out of those shells. And then when they are out of the shell, then they can grow. Well, the Torah, in a sense, is a bit like the lobster shell. What shall we say then is the law sin? Certainly not. It is a good thing in the proper place. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the Torah, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Some people now think maybe Rav Shaul's issue was covetousness, in which case he took the wrong profession, um, because he was serving um, very often for, for nothing under hard conditions. Maybe maybe he's saying sometimes he struggled with covetousness. But nevertheless, he knew it was a problem because of the Torah. The Torah made it very clear. This is wrong. This is sin. And so sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good." And so actually we can see two sides of the coin now. The Torah has something to do with it in its very nature where it acts, as we read elsewhere, as a schoolmaster. And it shows us that we we fall short of God's standard of righteousness. And it shows us that we'll never make it. And it also gives us practical guidance on how we ought to live. The Torah is clearly there as something that is good and just. It has both a negative component in that because it exists, we realize that we fall short. And it has the positive side that tells us this is the way. This is righteousness. The law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. One only has to think of Rav Shaul, someone who lived his life according to Torah, walking along the road to Damascus, and when he sees Yeshua, he realizes on the road to Damascus that Yeshua is the Lord. And more so, he realizes then what Yeshua did when he died must have really meant what the disciples were saying. And it must be true that he died on account of my sins. He died as our Goel, the Redeemer of Israel. I'm sure it didn't take Rav Shaul long to realize that. Here is the risen Yeshua, a sign that God has accepted him. And because God has accepted him, his sacrifice must be as Redeemer, as we have heard. And we must, as Israel, turn to Hashem. Rav Sha'ul knows that the Torah is holy, and the commandment is just and good. He knows this, but now he has seen Yeshua. And Yeshua hasn't said anything about the Torah not being right, the Torah not being good, but he knows that this is the source of salvation. This is what he needs to grasp onto. And this is where he will find Forgiveness from the Lord. The law is holy, good and just. And so now there's another problem for the Kehilah in Rome. Here is this Torah. It is so good. It is holy and just. But then did it become death to me? And is that what I am being saved from? Am I being saved from the Torah? Well, Rav Shaul says, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. And you need the Torah to show the righteousness of God You need the righteous standard so that evil might be revealed. And when evil is measured against the righteous standard, it becomes clearer and clearer what it is. And we see so often in scripture where God allows sin to become more and more apparent before he actually deals with it. God doesn't always deal with sin and with sinful nations right at the beginning when things can be nipped in the bud. He lets it become clear so that we might see the difference, so we might know. Sin has become manifest, but the law, we read in verse 14, is spiritual. We are carnal. We are sold under sin. If it's true for Rav Shaul, it's true for anyone. But he's very kind at this point to the kehilah in Rome. He brings it down to a personal level, a level that leads many people to feel that Rav Shaul was a very tormented person in himself. But I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think he struggles with sin as does anyone, but I don't think he's living in a in a state of constant torment where he's tormented by the sin that he does. He realizes that sin leads to death. He knows that. He knows that he is, in a sense, sold under sin, but he also knows where his salvation is. He also has hope. And he knows God's grace. And this is what makes him such a tremendous apostle because he wants Israel to know. He wants the nations to know the grace of God. Because here we are as Israel laboring under the Torah. And we are hoping to please God through the Torah. And Rav Shaul is saying, but don't lose the plot. Yeshua, God has provided a Redeemer. Yeshua is that Redeemer, and he has saved us from the curse of the Torah. Sin leads to death. Rav Shaul has already said that in Romans chapter 5. Remember the picture of Adam, who is the author or the the progenitor of all of us, leading us to death, whereas Messiah leads us to life. Sin produces death in us. It's a theme of which Rav Shaul is very, very aware. But the law is spiritual. It's an amazing contrast. Uh, We are sometimes tempted to think in binary terms. Well, the law is gone and grace is here. But the same God of the Hebrew Bible is the God of the New Testament, the God of grace whom we read about just before we celebrated the Lord's table, the Seudat Ha'adon, the one who reveals himself as the God of mercy. And even in that, he does not pardon the guilty without you know, and no, by no means lets the guilty off the hook. Um, in the same way, we we realize that that same God of grace is the God of grace in the Brit Chadasha, and the same righteous standard that God reveals in the Torah is the righteous standard that exists for all time, because he is pure and holy. The beauty of it is we have a Messiah who can bring us to that righteous standard. We may not be able to keep it, but we have the forgiveness of God through Messiah. Death is produced, in a sense, through something that is good. Here is that righteous standard. But at the same time, life comes through Messiah. We are brought to the final verses of Romans chapter 7. Rav Shaul points out, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Romans 7 verse 18. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Rav Shaul is one who has said that regarding, concerning the law, he, he his practice was basically flawless. He was someone who was raised in strict Pharisaic Judaism. He was someone who knew not only the Torah, but no doubt knew very well the oral law, which would later be codified in the Mishnah. He knew the, the law of the rabbis. And he knew how to live. Even beyond that, he knew the customs of the fathers and what was right behavior and what was wrong. He was someone who could walk into a synagogue in any city in the Roman Empire as he did and be welcomed with open arms. Because people knew here was someone they could tell. Here was someone who really is one of our people, a leader among our people. It was when he spoke about Yeshua that more often than not, he ran into trouble in those synagogues. But people understood his credentials. And here is this very righteous man who can say concerning the law, I was blameless. Who can at the same time, say the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. The most righteous among us suffer from sin. We are all sinners. It may well be that for Rav Shaul, the greater his learning, the greater his understanding of the Torah, the greater. His awareness of his own failings. Because you can go through the motions and do all the right things in life. We can seek to please God and dot every I and cross every T or like the Pharisees in Matthew, we can be very punctilious in in tithing the the dill and the mint and the cumin and, and making sure that even the herbs we put on our food that we have tithed from those to the Lord. We can be very careful and, and very, very strict with ourselves. But in all of that, we will come face to face with the fact that the evil we, uh, the good we will to do, we do not do. And the evil we don't want to do, that we practice. And so Rav Shaul says there's another kind of law that's very alive, and it's that law of sin. It's a law, it is an evil that is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Yeshua, Messiah, Adonenu. we can thank God, we have deliverance. And so he says, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Rav Shaul is still living his life passionately and radically to serve the Lord in every level of his being that he can. His outward being, his inward being, he is passionate for the Lord. But he's become very uncomfortable in that shell. That shell like that of a lobster has made it plain to him that he needs help. And what will happen with a lobster is eventually the pain, the discomfort will become far too much and the lobster will shed that shell and then to preserve itself it will go and hide and bury itself under a rock because it is now defenseless without anything to protect it and there it will grow a new shell and that pain has become very constructive in the life of the lobster. Like a psychologist nowadays uh, might do in some cases, we might want to give it, uh, you know, when we're in pain, we might want some antidepressants or some Valium or something like that. And I, I don't mean to talk against those things. They have their place. But sometimes we seek to avoid pain when in reality, the pain is very necessary. If we didn't have that pain, we might never seek the Lord. We might never turn to Hashem. We might never turn to Messiah. And here we are in pain and we see that there is something better. And then we are motivated to take that difficult step. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they might call it hitting bottom when you're finally ready to acknowledge you are an alcoholic, whatever you want to call it. We know what it is. It is that step when we turn to God and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the name of Yeshua, we receive forgiveness and healing and life. That is what Rav Shaul is pointing out here. He's going to go into Romans chapter eight. He didn't know it would become Romans chapter eight. Um, but, but he's going to continue his argument, and he's going to show us the beauty of that life and how to live that life for Messiah in the next chapter. Because Paul Shaul is clear: there is salvation. And in Messiah Yeshua, we can serve God. And we can bless the Lord. We can receive life through him. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you that even in the midst of the struggles and, and pains of life, yet you are working. And Father, nowhere more do we see that in the story of how we come to you, knowing our need so that we should shed that old skin and turn aside from the old crutches and turn to you in faith and turn to your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer. Father, we pray that you might help us to seek to live for you with all of our heart soul and strength we pray that you might help us to to like rav shaul serve you at every level of our being but at the same time while we know that we are afflicted with sin nevertheless know that great redemption that comes through messiah and father we Thank you for the new life that we have that comes through him. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. We're going to meet downstairs in a few minutes after the final song. We're going to say Kiddush before we begin our lunch after the service downstairs.